Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast. It's been a little while. I've been doing a few other people's podcasts the last month or so, so I thought I'd jump in with one of my own. And today we're going to talk a little bit about muscle gain and in particular the energy surplus when it comes to muscle gain. Now, there's a few different things that we need to know about when we're talking about the energy surplus. Of course, most people recognize that you probably need some kind of energy surplus to build muscle, but I don't think that many people take into account all of the different areas that we need to think about when we're setting an energy surplus. You often see recommendations out there that have a particular percentage as a surplus, like maybe you should be in a 10% calorie surplus to build muscle or 20% or uh, sometimes they use a particular number, 200 calories, uh, 300 calories, something like that. I've previously done that as well, but I don't know, it, it's very individual and I'm going to show you why in this podcast. So. To start with, the energy cost of building muscle has a few different aspects to it that a lot of people don't really wrap their heads around. Firstly, there is energy stored within muscle tissue or like the, the components that make up muscle tissue need to be supplied. So I think that, that bit is fairly obvious. Muscle is made up of things like water and protein structures and glycogen and fat and all of those sort of things. And so we need to supply the raw materials to build the muscle in the first place, which means we need enough amino acids there. I think that's pretty obvious. The next thing we need to think about is that it costs energy to actually assemble that muscle tissue. So to put all of those proteins and glycogen and fat and stuff together in the shape of a muscle that actually functions costs energy too. And I'm, I'm sure most people understand that that's really a lot of where this energy surplus is coming from. So that's fair enough, that's all fine, but there's other stuff we need to think about as well. There's an energy cost of the training that we need to do to build the muscle tissue. Now, a lot of people are gonna probably be increasing how difficult their training is or increasing their training volume above what they normally do to try and put on some muscle. And so we need to account for that. Now, I've put out some uh, stuff before showing that you know, the energy cost of a training session is probably not as high as people think if it's a weight training session. And the reason why is because we spend much more time in between sets resting than we do actively contracting muscle tissue. And so a training session, training with weights, if you're training hard, can be super fatiguing and it can feel really hard. And it certainly does burn a significant amount of calories but it's probably not as much as most people think. Uh, an hour long training session with a typical bodybuilding sort of training style would probably burn less than 200 calories for most people. Uh, so yeah, it matters, but uh, it's not as big as most people think. Now in that particular research, the researchers found that the energy cost was related to essentially just how much work was done, how much load was lifted throughout the session. They used a total volume amount in terms of gross tonnage, um, which is not necessarily how I calculate my, uh, my working sets and my training volume per week, but certainly it does mean that as you increase the amount of work you do in your training session, the more energy is going to be expended and you're going to have to account for that in your calorie surplus if you're trying to gain muscle. There's also an elevation in energy expenditure afterwards 
which is referred to as EPOC or the excess post oxygen consumption of the session. And this is just the energy it takes to return the system back to normal after a hard training session or after any training session really. So uh, the body has to you know, restore the pH balances of various tissues. It has to move metabolites uh, away and recycle them. It has to replenish energy substrates. It has to put uh, a bunch of different ions in the right place again, uh, in the right compartments of the body. And that all takes energy. So there's definitely a cost associated with that. But again, this is overestimated by most people. It's actually not as big as most people recognize. In fact, some studies, which I find this a bit hard to believe, but I suppose the data is the data. Some studies have found that even fairly hard training sessions uh, of 20,000 kilos of total training volume resulted in no significant epoch effect above basal metabolic rate. Now, I find that a bit hard to believe. Other studies have found that there is an elevation, but it's still not significant. It might be something like 10 to 20 calories above resting uh, per hour for a 24 hour period after a training session, if I remember correctly. So it matters, but it's not that significant again. However, if we add this up with the other stuff that we've been speaking about so far, it starts to add up a little bit. Now, when we build new tissue, there's obviously the energy cost associated with assembling it, which we already spoke about, but there's also the energy cost to maintain it. And a lot of people will pull out this argument and say, well, the more muscle you build, the more energy you spend every day, your basal metabolic rate goes up. And that's totally true. However, at rest, muscle tissue is not actually very metabolically active. It's certainly more metabolically active than a lot of other tissue. However, at rest, muscle tissue will probably only account for about another 10 to 15 calories per day at rest per kilo of muscle tissue compared to other uh, other organs. That's not very much. Um, obviously, that's pretty insignificant if we consider um, it's only about 10 to 15 calories per day. Now, obviously, when we move around, if we have a bit more muscle on us and we weigh a bit more, or now we're moving around tissue and we're contracting it, that's more metabolically active, that will certainly increase the amount of energy output that we're having per day. So that does need to be accounted for too. Um, again, it's one of those things that I don't think is that significant, but it adds up when we're adding it together with all of the other stuff there as well. Now, by far, the th I think the thing that is the most variable and the thing that is overlooked the most are changes in metabolic rate that occur in response to simply eating in an energy surplus. Um, this is highly, highly variable. And so uh, NEAT becomes a big part of this. NEAT and overfeeding is a really big and interesting issue. So to kind of summarize what, how this works, um, we have this concept called adaptive thermogenesis. And adaptive thermogenesis is, well, it's also called metabolic adaptation. It occurs in response to changes in body weight. So we know that when people lose body weight, there's this uh, variety of defensive mechanisms that come into play that preserve energy when the brain detects that we don't have as much energy available to us. And since our non-exercise activity, things like the number of steps we take, uh, how often we stand up, our posture, how much we fidget, all of these things are unplanned physical activity. Since these are the most variable part of our total daily energy expenditure, it's really largely affected by changes both in, in energy to intake, whether that is an increase in energy intake 
or a decrease in energy intake. And so this ability to adapt our non-exercise activity, our NEAT, is really highly variable between individuals and it can explain a really big part of why some people might require a bigger energy surplus than others. Uh, when we find um, people go into an energy deficit, the adaptive thermogenesis that occurs is relatively predictable. So we can tend to predict that as people lose body weight, we can see on average how much less energy expenditure occurs. There's still some variation in there based on individuals, but it's, it's not that variable. However, when we overfeed people, when they go into a calorie surplus, we find that this variability is actually really, really high. So I'll talk you through a few studies here that demonstrate this. There was one really interesting piece of research that first looked at this in the 80s, and they demonstrated significant differences in the NEAT response between individuals to overfeeding, completely independent of their lean mass. And they found that fidgeting and similar activity accounted for anywhere between 100 calories per day and 800 calories per day. That's right. So some people expended eight times as much energy per day from fidgeting and similar activity over 24 hours. So this was only a, a short-term observation of 24 hours, but nonetheless, overfeeding these subjects showed a really wide individual difference between subjects. This has been shown in other studies too, and it was really interesting that this next study I mentioned actually also found an eightfold difference. So this was by Leibel et al, and they overfed subjects um, in an attempt to increase their body weight by 10%. And so what they did is they simply gave these people a surplus until they hit their 10% over their baseline body weight. And interestingly, because of how much they adapted, it took some people only four weeks to eat to reach 10% extra body weight. Some people, it took 10 weeks to reach 10% extra body weight. And then after that, they had them maintain their weight increase and they measured how much their total daily energy expenditure changed. They found that per kilo of lean mass, the change in total daily energy expenditure was anywhere between two calories per kilo of lean mass and 16 calories per kilo of lean mass in these test subjects. So there's a huge range of individual changes based on being overfed here. And interestingly, this was also an eightfold change, just like that original research done by Rafusen et al. in the 80s. So some people have this really exceptional capacity to kind of resist weight gain uh, via overfeeding just by increasing their NEAT. Uh, one of my favorite subjects that I uh, often cite is by Levine et al. And what they did is they overfed 16 subjects in free living conditions by a thousand calories per day. So they're essentially giving them ostensibly an a thousand calorie per day surplus. And what they did is they saw an average increase in total daily energy expenditure of 550 calories, roughly. So that's the average, um, which is quite a lot if you think about it. That's over half of the original surplus. So you're giving people a thousand calorie surplus and their relative surplus is only about 450 calories because they're increasing their physical activity so much in response to being overfed. Uh, however, we also found that the inter-individual variability in this study was massive. So the range of neat related calorie expenditure ranged from negative 98 calories. So one person got overfed a thousand calories and they actually reduced their physical activity to the point where they moved less and their relative 
energy surplus was now 1,098 calories. Poor bugger. <laughs> and one person increased their calorie expenditure by 692 calories per day, which meant that their energy surplus, their relative energy surplus was only about 308 calories per day. So the the range was incredibly big and the neat response in this study directly predicted body weight gain. So this is really a, a variable factor and I've had clients before where you know you give them a 300 calorie surplus and their body weight barely changes or doesn't change at all over a few weeks and so we increase it again and increase it again and you might have been maintaining body weight initially at around say 2,500 calories per day, but it takes something like 3,500 calories per day, a thousand calorie surplus to start to get their body weight uh, consistently increasing from uh, month to month. And those are certainly the exception, but it's something that definitely does happen. And so the difference between having to have a maintenance calories and then simply saying, well, let's increase your calories by 10% or 20% simply didn't cut it. It just didn't work. Uh, now, that's obviously very hard to predict until you've experimented with it yourself. And so I think that the main point here is that you have to be aware that this is going to happen and you have to factor that in and watch your body weight increases. I typically will recommend a body weight increase that is somewhere between 1% and 2% um, per month on average. And so ideally what you'd be doing is tracking your body weight each week and taking the averages. You would also probably want to compare this to your training performance. You'd want to compare it to how well you're sleeping and, um, things of that nature so that you can get an overall picture from multiple data points, whether you're actually putting on quality lean mass. And that way, if you're gaining between one and 2%, per month on average, you can be pretty confident that a majority of that is going to be muscle mass or maybe a large proportion of it is going to be muscle mass. And certainly some of it will be fat. So we've seen from the literature that when you go into a calorie surplus, it's virtually impossible to um, gain more muscle than you do fat. It seems that there's always a little bit more fat being gained than, than muscle tissue, but certainly we wanna try and maximize the amount of muscle that we're getting from that calorie surplus. Now, sometimes people will say, well, can we actually increase our, our lean mass and lose fat at the same time, which is known as recomping or like re-body compositioning, I suppose. And it's certainly possible. We've seen it in the literature sev several times. There's even some studies where, uh, these were in obese people, um, they increased their, well, they, they lost 16 kilos of fat over a specific time period. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they still increased their lean body mass by simply engaging with two resistance training sessions per week. And we've seen this again and again, but I think it's really highly dependent on your current training status uh, and various other factors. So if you're someone who is overweight, is relatively new to training, then it's probably quite likely that you can both lose some body fat and gain some muscle mass. However, if you're already pretty lean and you have a reasonable amount of training experience, I'm not going to rule out that recomping can occur. However, I think it's much more difficult to actually do. And at the same time, it might not be the most efficient way of doing things. 
it might be simply more efficient to go through a dedicated surplus bulking phase where you acknowledge that yes, you're gonna put on some body fat and you're simultaneously gonna gain some muscle as well, obviously. And then later on, you can simply maintain the muscle mass you've built and cut away the body fat. In my personal experience as a coach, I've seen too many people just sort of tread water for a long period of time with very slow rates of gain or really no gains at all, no measurable gains at all by trying to recomp when they could have simply gone through some dedicated phases and maximized the response that way. You have to remember that building muscle is typically after your initial gains, a long, slow process. And it's very difficult sometimes to see that progress, which is why we want to track things like performance in the gym and body weight and all those kind of things to be guaranteed or to be sure that we're actually building muscle. Um, but once you've understood how to lose body fat, it's actually a relatively easy process to go through uh, or relatively simple process. Um, and you see results much more quickly than you do building muscles. And, and when you do that, it's actually quite easy to also maintain muscle that you've already built. So in that sense, it's probably a better idea to have that dedicated massing phase to, to put on the, a little bit of fat uh, in pursuit of more muscle to then maintain that muscle mass and then go through a dedicated cutting phase when you're going to see a fair bit of progress anyway. So just to kind of summarize and reiterate some of the points I've made so far, there are quite a few different contributors to increased energy expenditure that we have to overcome if we want to build muscle. We have to think about, firstly, the fact that we're gonna probably expend a bit more energy during resistance training, plus any post-exercise elevation in our metabolism. We're gonna to have to think about the increased cost of actually uh, repairing the muscle after training. So building new muscle tissue, breaking down and repairing damaged tissue. We're going to have to think about supplying enough amino acids to actually synthesize new proteins as well. We're going to have to overcome the increase in NEAT from a, uh, an increase in the calorie surplus. And that's going to easily be the highest variable factor or the most variable factor that we need to think about when we're in an energy surplus. And there are some other minor things as well. We're gonna have an increase in metabolic rate as we increase our muscle mass and our body weight. We're gonna have an increase in the thermic effect of feeding. In other words, it just costs a bit more energy to digest and assimilate the extra food we're gonna eat. But those are relatively minor contributors. Uh, however, if we add it together with all the other stuff, it could mean quite a significant energy surplus that we need to provide. You know, that's going to be really individual. Uh, I, there was a recent paper by Slater et al. Uh, in 2019 that suggested that a surplus of about 360 to 480 calories per day is probably a good place to be in on average. I think it really depends a lot on your current training status, uh, your, your history with dieting and what's happened in the past. Uh, you know, a bunch of different factors like that, whether you're already overweight or already uh, pretty lean, how much muscle you actually have to start with. And so it really is a case of kind of jumping in and gathering data and being as objective as you can about it. It can be a bit of a, a challenging process because it is a slow process and it is something that you have to try and be objective about and use multiple data streams to make a decision from. 
Um, and obviously that's where having a coach is pretty handy or having someone else helping you out with that is pretty handy. But fundamentally, you kind of just need to aim for that, that steady but consistent increase in weight over time and then make adjustments from there. And so I hope this has given you a little bit of insight into the kinds of things that we need to think about when we're building muscle. And I mean, I haven't even touched on you know, how much protein do we need? What ratios of carbs and fats might we want? What types of carbs and fats, all the nutrient timing. There are some nuances in all of that, but fundamentally the biggest factor really is uh, having adequate protein, um, which is probably somewhere around 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight. Uh, it's not a huge amount. And then having an energy surplus to support muscle growth. And that's really gonna be the primary factors. Um, so yeah, I hope that provides a little bit of, of insight. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please let me know, uh, always appreciative of ratings and shares. If you do choose to share this on Instagram or anywhere else, please make sure you tag me so that I can say thank you. Um, and if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this kind of stuff, I suggest that you join my mailing list. I'll typically send out an email once a week on these kinds of topics. Most recently, I talked a little bit about some of the stuff we need to be aware of of with statistics in research and how we can really trust research. I've also sent out a few other things based on, on some psychological tricks you can use for dieting. So I, I try and give some really handy information that I can give in a longer format than I can on social media and so on in my mailing list. So I'll leave a link in the description below. Other than that, I'll end it here and hope you have a great day. Chat to you soon. Thank you.